Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 439, air date March 20th, 2019. I am Justin Lee Peterson. Good morning. Welcome to the show. I have with me Dr. Shiva. And Dr. Shiva is an entrepreneur, author, scientist, and a politician for the Independent Party. Uh, he will be running for the Massachusetts Senate seat in 2020. He's also, he also has four degrees from MIT and has a book coming out later this month titled The uh, Climate of Science. The Climate of Science. I want to talk to him about that. But also other things, that, what's going on right now in this great country. Dr. Shiva, thank you for coming, uh, being on. I appreciate it. Yeah, great to be here, Jesse. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate yeah. what you do. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, at one time, you were a Republican uh, until 2017, right? What made you decide to switch over from being a Republican to an independent party? Well, in Massachusetts, unfortunately, Jesse, there's just one party. It's a uniparty. Uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, I ran against... A, her, but when I announced as a Republican, the local Republican Party here is essentially uh, aligned very closely with the Democratic Party. There's a, a governor who essentially runs the Massachusetts GOP by the name of Charlie Baker, and there's nothing Republican about him. He's essentially, you know, the the other head of the Democratic Party here. So that's why I decided to run independent. You know, we got close to 100,000 votes, Jesse. We spent less than 70 cents a vote. Warren spent close to $30 a vote. And they didn't allow me on the debate stage, even though we followed every rule by the law. There were only three of us running. Amazing. Um, yeah, at, at about 20 years ago, another independent ran, was polling at less than 1%. I was polling uh, over 10% and had over 60% visibility. So they're basically afraid, Jesse, the uniparty here, which is essentially one party. If, if you want to think about Massachusetts, it's sort of the center of the deep state. It's where the alpha and the omega of the deep state are. And you can see the total unity of the rhinos and the Democrats here. So it was the best thing I did. We're going to run again in 2020. Uh, we have a great uh, ground game. And a lot of people, I think, learned from the last election that the Republican, quote unquote, Republican Party here in Massachusetts, essentially the twin head of the Democratic Party. Is there a fight in uh, Massachusetts to turn it around and create a conservative state for the most part rather than so Democrat or and liberal? Well, I, I think the good news was in the last election, the, the, the Republican candidate who was running, um, he essentially sold out all the Republicans and people saw that. You know, a, a great philosopher said, sometimes the masses have to learn through bitter struggle. And what we've seen is those same people are recognizing how they were sold out. So I think the good news is when we're, you know, our ground game this time, I think it's going to be even more powerful. You know, we had these fake Indian, real Indian signs all over Massachusetts, Jesse. Only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. It went viral. <laughs> we forced Warren to take that DNA test. She did something very stupid. Yeah. It showed that she was a faker Indian than she really was. Um, but I think the big thing that's coming out is I think everyday working people, and I mean working people who get up every day, have a skill or an entrepreneur, go to work. They're recognizing that in Massachusetts in particular, either party doesn't really represent them. And in fact, it sells them out. 
So if you think about something like immigration you were talking about earlier, uh, both parties profit from it. And Trump was probably the first one who really wanted to address this head on. But the establishment of both parties doesn't really want to address immigration because they, it fundamentally hurts the American worker. But if you look at Wall Street, if you look at the drug cartels, if you look at uh, the left, quote unquote, the left and quote unquote right, they actually profit from it. One profits from votes yeah. and the other profits from, you know, profit. So I think there are many issues like that that we're going to be bringing up, which show the collusion, particularly in Massachusetts, of both of these parties. You um, you ran against Pocahontas, uh, Elizabeth Warren, back in 2018. Um, what was that like? What was it like running against her? How did that go? It was, it was awesome. We had a lot of fun. Uh, when we ran against her, you know, we hit hard on the, I mean, we had a, a bus, a, a bus that a bunch of MIT students and local citizens built. And on it, Jesse, we had a big sign which says only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian, a picture of me and her picture of in the headdress. The city of Cambridge uh, sent me a letter saying I had to take down that banner. Um, other, you know, they had, and you know, I own a building. I own a beautiful building. It wasn't on the building, it was on the bus. So we sued them in federal court and they surrendered. Amazing. Um, yeah, so wherever we went, you could see the white liberal elite um, did not want to have a real discussion about race because the real issues, they're the ones who are the racists. And they flip around the race issue, we notice, and they bind it to a very small thing. Don't say these words, you know, don't talk like this, and therefore you're not a racist. When in fact, they're the, the real racists because they live on segregation, they live mm -hmm. on dividing people up, and they live on not discussing issues. So they've narrowed the discussion of race to a very small bounds that they can control. And so we brought up those contradictions. In fact, there's a, if you go on um, YouTube, uh, we went to a Warren event and we invited the people going into the Warren event. I think Warren was doing something with Whoopi Goldberg. And we said, why don't you come over here and let's have a discussion? Well, one couple of students came by, one guy wearing a t-shirt, it's quite extraordinary, saying liberal, came over and punched me in the face um, because he started calling me a racist. I said, no, you're the racist. And, uh, the point is that Massachusetts in many ways is the center of what I call the establishment. So I think we have a huge opportunity here to expose those contradictions. So on every issue, Jesse, I run a bi-monthly seminar series called Systems Thinking. We take every issue, be it gun violence, be it immigration, be it healthcare, and we look at it from a scientific approach and we show that it's a multifactorial issue and that how both of these parties in Massachusetts in particular sell out the, the worker and never address the real issues because they don't really want to ever solve the real issue. They always want to distract people to a fake problem and then create a fake solution. So if um, had not you discovered that the Republican Party there is not the real deal, um, you would still be a Republican? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean look, the, the values of the Republican Party that, you know, if you go even back to Lincoln, right? Right. Those values are the values that I cherish, you right. know? Those are the values of, look, look, I came from India, Jesse, with nothing. My parents came here with nothing. We were considered low caste untouchables. I came here as a seven-year-old kid, uh, worked through the public school systems, worked my butt off. By the time I was 14, I had uh, gone to NYU, you know, created the first email system we should talk about that in Newark, New Jersey, came to MIT, did four degrees, started seven companies, made a lot of money doing that. The last company I did, we grew to around $250 million. I'm, 
I'm doing a new new company now. All of that comes from this very powerful value system of the uh, of America, which was really in many ways what was promoted by the Republican Party at one point, which was hard work, learned skills, you know, cherished community, cherished family, all uh, cherish your teachers, your elders, and your mentors. And you, so in many ways, I would say I'm more Republican than Republican, but unfortunately there's no home in Massachusetts for that. That's, that's why we're running as independents. You, uh, <coughs> excuse me, you created the, the uh, first email system, right? What made, yeah. what made you decide to do that? Well, Jesse, when I was, uh, I was very motivated because I saw the immense capability America offered me versus what, I, what my parents had in India. So as I mentioned, by when I was 14, I'd finished calculus, went to NYU. This is in 1978, Jesse, when computers would occupy a huge room. And so even though I had some high school courses to finish up after I finished that NYU program, I started working full time in the heart of Newark, New Jersey at a medical school doing medical research. And I was very fortunate because there was a, a, uh, a uh, researcher there, a physicist. He gave me access to computers and he gave me a challenge. You may remember this, Jesse, anyone over the age of 40 remembers in the old days in offices, they had the secretary, always a woman. She had a typer, ty typewriter and she'd write a thing called a memo. Remember? Yeah. Yes. And it would have to, from, subject. You sometimes have to do a blind carbon copy, right. carbon copy. Yes. And there was a whole system for sending out um, these uh, memos. And it was part of the inter-office mail system. It was before, it was a social media before social media. And I was asked to convert that entire system into the electronic version, uh, Jesse. You know, you could send simple text messages on those big mainframes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about co converting that entire inter-office mail system so I wrote 50,000 lines of code, used to stay awake until two in the morning, and I called that email, E-M-A-I-L. The only reason I called it email, Jesse, was the operating system in those days only allowed five characters. <laughs> and a few years after that, I got it copyrighted because that was the only way to protect software. The politicians didn't, under software, didn't understand software. It was only 1994, could you patent software? So this was before I came to MIT, Jesse, but what I was doing was I was solving a problem and that's where innovation comes from it doesn't come from silicon valley all the time yeah. or the defense department it, it came from a 14 year old kid in newark new jersey who was trying to help secretaries go from the typewriter to the keyboard that's the origin of email that's amazing so i gotta ask do you support the great white hope T donald trump definitely yes. yeah <laughs> well yeah you have to understand that i never believed in electoral politics I, in fact, lost all faith in it. Do you remember Jesse Jackson when he ran in 84? Yeah, he, was, I, he acted like, like though he was building up an anti-establishment movement at the last minute. Yes. He gave all the votes to Mondale. And that's when I realized that um, the, the left wing of the Democratic Party was essentially a way to manipulate the working people. They always suck people back into the establishment. So I never participated. If anything, I was a, a, a radical you know, uh, activist. But when Trump ran... I said, this guy is getting on that stage. He was unwilling to compromise. He was exposing the yeah. media. And it was the first time I registered. I registered as an independent voter. Then I got invited to the inauguration. You know, I supported uh, Trump, uh, the, the president financially also. And then I, and after that is when I decided to run. So I think what Donald Trump has done, people underestimate the brilliance of this person and the her heroism he did by taking on big media 
by taking on the elites. Yeah. And no one has done that in American politics. Typically, people compromise, right? At the last minute, they got donors, and, and they sort of blunt their um, sharpness of their message. Yeah. So I, you know, so I have a huge respect for him. He's a disruptor. And, uh, you know, I'm a disruptor. I'm an innovator. You know, when you invent things, you're constantly disrupting things. So um, huge support for what he has done and continues to do, particularly in challenging the establishment. I have so many things I want to ask you. We ran out of time here. Do you still own the email? Do you own the email? Well, here's the deal. So my first thing was, you know, copyright doesn't protect, doesn't give you like patent protection. So I didn't make gazillions of dollars, but I am the inventor of email. But many years later, I created another company. It's called Echo Mail to analyze email. I won a contest when I was a graduate student at MIT to analyze Clinton's email. And that's a whole new, we call it AI and email. So we, so if you send an email to like QVC or in the old days to American Express and Nike, my technology analyzes an email, figures it out, and routes it. Oh. So I made a ton of money doing that. Uh, we built that company for close to $250 million. But, um, you know, the latest company I'm running right now, Jesse, is, is we're eliminating the need for animal testing. We have a technology that can model medicines and disease on the computer. We actually discovered a combination therapy for pancreatic cancer in a record 11 months and got it allowed by the FDA. That's amazing. So I'm still an inventor. That's my full-time job. I, I read that you were really into a lot of things. You're very busy and you have a lot of degrees. Were you motivated by uh, the fact that you grew up poor? Is that your driving? Well, I, I think I think I was motiv motivated by love, actually, by the deep love I had for my grandparents. You know, here were people who were poor farmers in India, and the last memory I have them when I was leaving India, they were at the train station crying, and I could see how deeply these people loved me and how much they had sacrificed, Jesse. So as a 12-year-old kid, I made a decision that it would be a crime if I didn't take advantage of all the resources America provided me and, you know, be a good human being and, and serve and work hard. So if anything, I have this back part of me, which is really for working people, who I see struggling so hard and I see the gifts that I've been given. And if I don't work 100 times harder for what I've been given, in some ways yeah. I'm committing a sin. Yeah. So it's the, it's the love of those people who sacrifice a lot of me, Jesse, that frankly, motivates me. And I have a deep spiritual belief. You know, I believe uh, in the message of Christ and, and and a deep level. And I think that this country offers people an incredible amount of freedom to do. And what I see happening, like with the whole climate change thing right now, is actually a destruction on free speech and free debate. Schumer, yeah. for example, is trying to pass a bill in Congress saying that no federal agency could sponsor any scientific discourse on climate change. This is like the Council of Trent, what they did to Galileo. Amazing. And so when we don't have freedom, we're not going to have science. And without science, we're never going to figure out what the real problems are to deliver real health. So I'm a big fighter also, Jesse. Most of my life's been you know, um, about fighting for freedom. Two years ago, we were at the free speech rally in Boston, 40 of us against 40,000 people. Yeah. We, they had branded that as a Nazi event. They called me a Nazi and a white supremacist. <laughs> So that's amazing. I want to ask the Democrats are the ones that are running right now. They all are some, seem to be in support of abortion. Even at the ninth month, the baby should come out alive. Sorry. Let it die on the table there. They'll support abortion. They are promising free stuff to everybody. 
the um, free health care, education, and all that. They want open borders so that the illegal aliens can come in and, uh, hope and, and vote for them. That's what they're hoping for. Where do you stand on all these issues with, that the Democrats are promoting right now? Are you for abortion? Well, no, definitely not. You know, look, my position is this. I'm a biologist. You know, my PhD is in systems biology. You know, with very close to conception, the epithelial forms around, um, you know, this new new thing that's that's the baby. And so anyone, even from a biological perspective, says there are not two lives is basically lying. There are two lives there. And anyone who says that there are not two lives is basically completely not not even following basic science. Yeah. The, the second issue is the Democratic Party since the New Deal. You know, if you go back to the history of this country, 1800s, there was a very powerful movement of the American working class. I'm talking about everyday working people. When the Democrats use the word worker, they're referring not to workers. They even, I mean, not to get into Marxism, but even Karl Marx, he called the worker those people actually worked. He had a different term, Jesse, for what he called the people who didn't work, the thieves, the criminals who leached off the system. Yeah. He called yeah. them lumpen proletariat. So people like AOC, the Democratic Party, actually wants to support the lumpen proletariat. Yeah. In American history, there was a very powerful working class movement in this country. And FDR, besides all the other stuff, nonsense that he did, they basically threw bones to the American workers in the 30s to quiet down that working class movement. They never wanted the American worker to flex their muscles. Amazing. And since that time, the Democratic Party, everything they do that sounds good, giving away free stuff, is actually to support the lumpen proletariat and to actually destroy the people who get up every day and work for a living, the entrepreneur, the plumber, the electrician, the people who do an honest day's work. They never really want to support them. So it's open borders, you know, a bogus, not even enforcing immigration is actually about destroying the American worker and supporting the thugs in many ways, the gangsters, the criminals, because yeah. they want to have them, Jesse, to use them against the working people when they need, need to. So they yeah. want to make people dumb, dependent, and disarmed in many, many ways. Absolutely. And they use fear, uncertainty, and doubt to do that. So everything is, is, is fear-filled, right? AI is going to destroy jobs. We need to give people UBI. It's nonsense. AI is actually going to free people to actually do more human activities. Amazing. You know, tractors didn't destroy agriculture. People actually move to other jobs. So everything they do is based on fear, uncertainty, and doubt. That's how IBM, by the way, used to sell, right? They That's used to right. say fear, uncertainty, and doubt. <laughs> Are you for the big, beautiful wall going up around the border? Well, I'm not only for the wall, but I think we should use new technology and create almost like a shield of peace and around our whole country. I don't think we should go to other countries and fight their wars. We should protect the borders of this country. We should make sure we follow and enforce the immigration policies that we have, and we should build the infrastructure of this country. I think immigration is also tied to infrastructure. You know, when in the 1960s, you know, there was a civil rights movement, and again, the Democrats bamboozled everyday people, and they threw them affirmative action. But they did, they did that because they never wanted to build Votech schools, infrastructure in the inner cities. So we have to have very strong borders, Keep out. I don't think we should be ever have gone to Iraq and any of these other countries. Yeah. And we should build the infrastructure of our countries. Look, a 14 year old kid invented email in Newark, New Jersey. How did I do that? It was a loving family. It was a mentor. And I had dedicated school teachers. That's where email came from. It didn't come from MIT. 
It didn't come from Silicon Valley. I'm a big proponent. We need to build innovation hubs. Take the old public libraries, Jesse, and convert them to places where you can check out, you know, equipment, you know, check out tools. Amazing. Make that an innovation hub. Make it local and build those innovation centers up. That's where innovation comes from. It doesn't Amazing. come from top down. The uh, I know you have the uh, climate uh, of science coming out, your brand new book yeah. coming out. Uh, how can people get to your website and how can they help you? Yeah, so the Climate of Science book, it's going to be up on Amazon in about two weeks. And the book is fundamentally me. It, it's called The Climate of Science. It's worse, much worse than we think. It's a play on words saying that the scientific established, the real science is no longer done anymore in this country. You have scientists and you have academics. Academics don't do science. They, they thrive on grants. They're like welfare recipients. They keep getting grants and grants and grants and they're owned by the government. So whatever the government says, they will do that kind of science. So we have fake science. So the book, me as an MIT PhD, calls out what's really going on. Yeah. Uh, and we talk about climate change, we talk about gun violence, we talk about immigration. All of these issues are today controlled by a collusion between the fake scientists, academics, fake news media, and you have celebrities and politicians who all basically what the book talks about is a mix, a cocktail of some social justice issue combined with some fake science, and then they push people fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So that book will be up on Amazon. Um, we have a, a website called theclimateofscience.com. It isn't up, but it'll be up shortly, but you can get it up on Amazon and also on vashiva.com. But the book is really to teach people that you have to trust your gut instincts these days. Yeah. And the everyday American worker actually has a rational mind much smarter than the millennial who's graduated out of college because they are trained to rationalize things. If you told them the earth was flat, they'd believe it because they're told to please their professors. And the <laughs> professors are told to uh, do what the government says so they can get grants. So we have very little science done anymore, Jesse. Amazing. It's done by academics. So we have a minute here. Is the earth flat or round? The earth is round <laughs> you last know, time. Yeah. But you know, and that I think more importantly, you know, I think the key message is it's, you know, before we can talk about health and having a, a, a greener world, we have to have science. And before you can do science, you need to have freedom. Yeah. You need to have the freedom to question and dissent and debate. That's from that is where science comes. Yeah. And from real science is where we get real problems, where we get real solutions and we get real health. But you can't have any of that without real freedom. Amazing. Dr. Shiver, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really wish you well, man. Thank you, man. Great to be on your show. All right. We'll have you Safe. back. Well, thank Peace. you, sir. Okay. Bye-bye.